Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Kaven Jenna. Thank you, David. It's good to be here. Well, let, let's. Uh, this is a, a pretty specific topic, talking about viral hepatitis, but it's actually a condition that's not that uncommon. Talk talk to us a little bit about the prevalence of hepatitis C and and um, what some of the symptoms that people might have who who have it. Sure, it's um, it is quite prevalent. Uh, it's estimated that four million people in the United States have hepatitis C, chronic viral infection. Uh, many of those are not diagnosed. They don't know they have it. Um, How many people who have hepatitis C don't have symptoms at all? Is it a lot of, of them? A large percentage. That's one of the problems with hepatitis C is it is a typically a very asymptomatic illness for the first stages of the, of the disease. If it progresses, then symptoms become more severe. But for many people, they can have it 10, 20, 30 years without any symptoms whatsoever. And what are the main ways that you get it? It's a blood-borne illness. It's transferred blood to blood, so um, that can be uh, a needle stick, IV drug use. It can also be blood transfusion, um, and that's one of the issues with hepatitis C is that the virus was not identified prior to, there was no test prior to 1989. Uh, the blood banks were not being screened until 1992, so anybody who was given blood in a surgery or transfusion was at risk for contracting hepatitis C prior to that. And, and can you get it from sexual contact at all, or is it it's, mostly um, through blood? It's, it is definitely through blood. So the only way that somebody would contract it through sexual contact is if there was any blood uh, involved in the sex, any cut or anything like that. Um, so the, the recommendation is not uh, to take uh, you know any precautions with sex if you have hepatitis C uh, in terms of condoms or anything like that. It's not, it's not a recommendation. So... Um, you, you had mentioned before the show that the CDC has actually um, changed their guidelines around hepatitis C, maybe partly because of these things you're mentioning around um, the fact that there wasn't screening until relatively recently. Can you, can you talk to us about what is now being recommended around screening for hepatitis C? Certainly. Uh, last month, uh, the CDC recommended that everyone uh, born between the ages, uh, or sorry, between the years of 1945 and 1965 be tested for hepatitis C infection. Um, so every every adult exactly. Of, so the recommendation is that every baby boomer uh, should be tested to see if they have the presence of hepatitis C. Uh, the reason for that is largely uh, we know that three quarters of the people with hepatitis C are baby boomers. Um, I think also playing into that is that there was a development and release and approval of two new drugs uh, last year for the treatment of hepatitis C. So the the uh, available medical treatment uh, has strengthened. Uh, it's still by a long shot, not perfect, but it has strengthened. Well, we mentioned that, you know, at least in the beginning stages, people don't have a ton of symptoms or often don't have a ton of symptoms with hepatitis C. So what would be the motivating factor for someone who today is hasn't been tested, who falls into that age group? Why should they get tested for hepatitis C? What could happen if they leave it untreated over decades and um, what uh, symptoms that someone could be walking around with now could actually be caused by hepatitis C without them knowing about it, for instance. Well, this is where the treatment might differ between uh, seeing a naturopathic doctor and seeing a regular medical doctor is that uh, my approach is very much preventive. If somebody does have hepatitis C infection, we really want to protect the liver, and there's many things we can do uh, to protect any of the damage that can take place from that chronic viral infection. Um, in a conventional medical model, there really isn't much other than you may opt to use those treatments or, or not if you don't have any symptoms because the side effects of those drugs are quite severe. Sometimes it's hard to 
uh, recommend or make a decision for someone to make themselves sick through side effects when they're really not feeling ill from the illness itself. But one of the important things, if you know you've got the infection, is to check how much damage has already taken place in the liver. And when you say damage, is that similar to alcohol, that you would get cirrhosis if you leave the, the virus unchecked? Exactly. It is similar. I mean, there's a different uh, process, but essentially um, the cells are being damaged and destroyed, and that leads to a progressive scarring of the tissue. I like to use the analogy with my patients. If you kept uh, cutting yourself on your arm over and over again in the same place, pretty soon that's going to start to scar up. Uh, everybody's different. Some people will scar up a lot quicker than other people will, but over time that's going to scar, and that's what's going on internally in the liver is scarring starts to increase, and as that scarring increases, there's four stages of what's called fibrosis. The fourth stage of that, or stage four, is cirrhosis, when the liver is really all full of scar tissue, and then real problems are uh, are involved. So are there other things that that uh, people are at risk for when they have hepatitis C? Are there either other diseases that could happen if they leave it untreated? Um, and also... What are some of the symptoms that that would be more of the classic symptoms when people become symptomatic? It's a it's a um, it's a progressive illness. So, in the sense that the the virus can be there and causing damage um, below the radar, not realizing it, and the symptoms may start with fatigue, not feeling well, maybe some digestive problems. We now know that there is a lot of uh, cognitive or mental effects of the hepatitis C virus. It's not just a liver uh, condition. Uh, that's sort of where it's most uh, active, but it's really going to affect all over the body. Uh, so we have to start looking at some of those other areas. As far as the liver itself, um, from a low amount of, uh, of scarring, someone may not just feel well functionally, but then as that increases, that's going to start to interfere with their abilities to synthesize proteins and blood clotting factors, platelets, things that will affect their bleeding time. Um, you know, so there can be serious consequences. You know, they may start retaining fluid. Uh, eventually, that can lead to uh, the cirrhosis can lead to liver failure, possibly liver cancer as a consequence. We're talking today with Dr. Kaven Jenna about natural approaches to viral hepatitis C. If you have any questions for him, you can call us at the studio at 503-231-8187. Well, bef- Dr. Jenna, before we go into some of the ways in which you would approach uh, hepatitis, and you see a, a lot of hepatitis uh, patients in your practice, let's just go over what is offered by conventional medicine and and um, and what promise what what it promises in terms of uh, treatment effects? Sure. Um, before I, before I do that, I just want to uh, go back to that question around transmission and why the new recommendations of all the baby boomers being tested. Another route of transmission that's been identified is intranasal cocaine use. So it's not necessarily blood to blood. Although if somebody is snorting cocaine, there's blood droplets that can easily go through the mucous membrane of the nose. So that's that's something that may be a lot more common in that age group than needle use perhaps. And so a lot more people may have been exposed in that way. What about, um, I'm just going to throw this out as it just came to the top of my head. What about something like uh, sharing a toothbrush with someone who has bleeding, bleeding gums, for instance? Absolutely. Any, any way in which blood can get uh, contact and get into someone else. So an infected person's blood somehow gets into the bloodstream of the other person. That can be through a toothbrush uh, or bleeding gums. can be through a needle. can be through a razor. So all of those types of, uh, of precautions are, are, are very important. So certainly a partner of somebody with hepatitis C would need to take, uh, or at least be a little extra cautious with them? Certainly. There's, um, I don't want, uh, sometimes people get really paranoid about it, and so I don't want to 
don't want to go down that road, but because uh, in normal daily contact, you're not going to get blood. You may even, even getting blood on your skin, the skin is a great protective layer, so it's not going to actually get in. But if you also have a cut uh, or some other, like the gums or the, the nasal membranes, which are very viscous and you know, very thin, you can get the blood in that way. All right. Well, tell us about the uh, the conventional treatment briefly, and then we'll go into some more detail about what you sure, offer. Sure. Um, so the treatment for hepatitis C conventionally is interferon-based, and it has been, and that's been um, ever since it was really discovered in the early 90s, interferon, and then a second drug was added to that called ribavirin, which is an antiviral drug. Well, tell us what interferon is in case people don't, haven't heard of interferon that's a, first. That's a great question because interferon is something we make in our own bodies, and people often don't realize that. Um, and so the side effects of interferon, if you can imagine um, having a really, really bad flu, the times that we make interferon in our body is when we're fighting a virus. So when you've got a bad flu and you're achy and tired and headachy and just not feeling well, those are essentially the side effects of, uh, of interferon because it's the interferon making you feel bad when you have a flu. It's not the virus itself, and that's an important that's thing to remember. Um, so you take that sort of bad flu feeling and multiply that by about... 100, and then you've got being on a synthesized high-dose interferon, a uh, common side effect uh, picture. Add to that the ribavirin antiviral drug has another set of uh, side effects with that, um, you know, particularly uh, lowering the red blood cells and making people anemic. Um, you know, can't be taken by, uh, uh, you know, if women are taking that who are of childbearing age, they have to be tested for potential pregnancies because it is also uh, can cause birth defects. So there's some serious side effects. But on, but on the bright side, after, I don't know, is it six months or a year of hell of a lot of symptoms, there a good percentage or a significant minority of people do go into remission around the hepatitis, right? So the numbers are, uh, uh, before last year when the new drugs came on the, on the scene, uh, with interferon and ribavirin, the new interferon called pegylated interferon, the percentages, it actually cleared the virus under treatment, and depending on the type of hep C virus they have, there's what's called genotypes, and most people are genotype 1, and that one takes the longest uh, in terms of treatment, so it's a full 12 months or 48 weeks on the, on the therapy. Um, and at that time, they, they test if the virus is cleared, they wait another six months, and if it's still clear after six months after finishing treatment, they, they say it's cleared, SVR cleared. Um, so the numbers uh, at that time were about 40 to 50% depending on uh, the you know, other factors. Uh, certain other genotypes had a much higher clearance. Now that the other um, drugs came on the market, uh, Teleprevir and Bosoprevir, last uh, spring, the numbers have increased for actually clearing the virus up to between 60 and 70% uh, for the hardest to type, uh, hardest type to clear, which is type 1. So... so- that's that's pretty good compared to ten years ago. I, I remember we we had you on quite a while ago, and and the numbers were pretty poor for conventional yeah. therapy. Absolutely. It, how, how what was your, what is your argument for why someone should should uh, see uh, someone who does naturopathic medicine or Chinese medicine along with a uh, a conventional protocol? Absolutely. Um, mainly because there's a lot we can do uh, to protect uh, the liver. I tell my patients one of the first things I tell them is that there's two things going on. Hepatitis C, it's not just about the viral infection. You've got to look at the uh, one aspect is the viral infection and the other aspect is the damage to the liver. And so uh, it's important to distinguish those because you can have one without the other. For example, somebody can have the virus and their liver can be in really good shape if they've taken care of themselves or they've got good genetics and other, other factors that are, that are helping the liver not get scarred. Um, 
So we can support, I mean, Western medicine really focuses on the antiviral aspect of it, and, and the, the medicines have definitely gotten better in that, in that area. But we want to support, we can support the immune system to make those uh, antiviral treatments stronger. We can also protect the liver from any damage that's already happened or any progression of further damage. The two work very, very nicely together. I have, uh, you know, three categories of patients in general, uh, patients that have hepatitis C, um, some who have uh, tried interferon-based treatment in the past and it wasn't successful and now they're looking for an alternative. I also see a lot of patients that are interested in, especially now, maybe doing the interferon-based treatment at the same time as doing the natural treatment, which I think is great. We can really prepare the system, get the immune system stronger, get the detoxification pathways working so the liver can clear, have much less side effects, have uh, also a stronger effect uh, to the drugs. And then the third category would be people that are just not interested whatsoever in doing the conventional medical treatment, which there's a lot of people, because of the, the side effects. And some people just can't because they have to stop treatment because of the, the intensity of the side effects. Well, let's imagine that we um, have a listener today. Say they were mm-hmm. born between 1945 and, and 1965, just like the CDC is now recommending that they get tested. They, One of our listeners gets tested. They find out, surprise, they have hepatitis C. They don't have any obvious symptoms that are correlated with it. Let's say maybe they have nonspecific fatigue. Maybe it's some nonspecific digestive or mood issues. Um where would you start with them? So they come into your office. They they have the disease. They're probably not in a place where their liver is damaged yet. Maybe maybe we don't know that. But how, tell us tell us what people could expect when they when they come to see you and and how you you contextualize it and or orient them to a treatment plan. Uh, the degree of liver damage would be one of the first things to to determine, and that can be done either by liver biopsy or there's also a blood test that can also determine that. So that's a good piece of information to see where somebody is on on that. Program. Um, and then what my, one of my first goals is going to be is to detox uh, that patient, to make the liver uh, work better so that it is not uh, – it can spend its energy on fighting the virus that's there instead of dealing with all the other pollutants and other things that are in the liver that it needs to break down. So helping to clean up the diet and essentially protect the liver that way. Well, we should just back up for a second. And, and it, there may be listeners who, today who don't know that the liver is the main – or one of the main detoxification organs in our body. So it would make sense, obviously, that if you take some of the stress of the other things it's detoxifying, it could probably focus Absolutely. more on the virus. Yeah. If you want to conserve its, uh, the energy and the nutrients that the liver has, you want to make sure it's getting the nutrients it needs and conserve those to be doing the repair work it needs for the liver cells so that the progression of uh, any scarring in the liver does not continue. And that's very, very doable, both with nutrition, uh, herbal medicine, uh, there's lots of great, uh, I mean, I'd go very uh, high with antioxidants to help protect the tissue because the progression of scarring is really a, an oxidative uh, damage process that takes place. Well, let's talk about uh, diet. Um, tell us some of the premier foods that you would emphasize for um, liver health and, and for detoxification enhancement. And then, and then uh, contrary to that, some of the things that you would, would be the number one things to avoid. Certainly. Um, well, I'll start with the, um, you know, in terms of the, the avoid list, because uh, the standard American diet has a lot of uh, foods in it that are not necessarily liver-friendly. Any processed foods, heavy fats, especially hydrogenated or trans fats that go to the liver, going to cause more di- oxidative damage in the liver. Sugar, uh, the liver is very important in sugar metabolism in the body. So uh, 
sugar and carbohydrates are going to cause problems. Uh, so essentially, a healthy uh, liver-friendly diet is going to look like um, you know, a whole foods diet. Lots of, uh, lots of vitamins and nutrients from vegetables, fruits, whole grains, good quality meats, eggs, um, you know, shopping around the, the perimeter of your grocery store, not through the aisles and the processed packaged foods. So I'll counsel somebody around, you know, take a look at their diet and see what areas would be beneficial for them and try to move them towards that uh, more whole foods diet. Well, let me ask you a question about coffee. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm guessing... If I, if I were to guess, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that coffee is probably not part of a hepatitis C uh, protocol. But I do know there's – and in Chinese medicine, it causes liver cheese stagnation. But is, isn't it true that it also is, has been shown in some studies to be protective for liver cancer? It is true. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. Um, there is a numerous studies actually that have shown uh, coffee – and the more coffee you drink, the more liver uh, protection in terms of uh, protecting against cirrhosis and, and uh, high liver enzymes. Um, that has been shown. Uh, what's interesting about that is uh, the reason for that, I believe, and all the studies say they don't really know why that is, but I believe the reason for that is uh, the caffeine and other uh, volatile oils in the coffee actually do accelerate the detoxification pathways in the liver. So there is a uh, an amped-up detoxification happening, which is beneficial. My... Um, uh, recommendation to people is there's better ways to do that than with coffee. Um, there's a lot of research also on green tea, and that's been something that's been used in Chinese medicine for a very, very long time in terms of liver uh, issues. Uh, green tea's been also shown to protect against progression of liver disease and cirrhosis. So there's something about those pathways. I think green tea is a much healthier alternative uh, than coffee. There's other aspects of coffee in terms of how it affects other uh, parts of our body, especially the adrenals and, and the immune system that may not be desirable uh, in the long term for someone's overall health. So again, as a naturopath, I'm always looking at the whole person. I, I have yet in, you know, I've been in practice 14 years, I've yet to see a liver come in and sit down uh, right. the, next to me and start talking about the, themselves. It's, 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 the livers are always attached to a person. So looking at Yes, the studies have shown definitely it has helped the livers, but is that really in the full picture helping that, that person's health in the long run? Um, I think there's uh, better ways to do it in terms of the antioxidants and things that will detox in healthier ways. Well, it would be interesting. You, you'd imagine that with these studies coming out on it that we would see bigger and better studies that might parse out some of this information in the future. Maybe in 10 years from now we'll, we'll know a little bit more on that one. Yeah, a bit of a, a, bit of a tangent, but an interesting thing about the, the coffee research that's also coming out is they're showing it um, as being beneficial for uh, non-hepatic diseases like uh, Parkinson's disease, um, for example, because that really has got a lot to do with the liver as well, and it has a lot to do with the liver's ability to process chemicals and toxins and heavy metals out through the liver, and so the benefit is seen, you know, systemically. Well, it sounds like a lot of the things, a lot of the interventions you might do for someone with viral hepatitis um, might benefit people who have other liver issues as well, I would imagine. Oh, Obviously yes. not necessarily the, the viral suppression aspect, but somebody who's, who's lived a hard life of abuse on their liver might see some benefit from a detox diet or some of the, the liver-friendly herbs. Let's, let's talk about um, what herbs are particularly um, sure. beneficial for the liver that you found or that you go back to for um, – managing people with hepatitis. Sure, absolutely. The, um, so my treatments are really in three stages. And when I first start with somebody, I'm more in the detoxification stage, really cleaning out their system, taking the load off the liver, giving it the nutrients it needs to detoxify. So in that stage, the herbs are going to look a little different than 
the herbs in the, you know, the second stage is more anti-fibrotic, anti-inflammatory, stop any progression of scarring. And then the third stage is really the antiviral stage. Um, you know, everybody likes to focus on the virus, but without doing the other two parts, then the liver is not necessarily going to, going to heal. Um, so initially, I mean, one of the, the best-known uh, liver herbs is milk thistle. It's been heavily, heavily researched, over 120 clinical studies that I'm aware of. Um, so I'll use that, but I'll use that in, in smaller amounts at the beginning and, and increasing amounts as, uh, as that uh, process goes on. Um, in terms of detoxification herbs, one of my uh, favorites is turmeric, a uh, fantastic herb. Uh, herbs such as artichoke, uh, dandelion, beets, wonderful for helping the bile move, helping to clean the liver out. Um, so those are just uh, some examples, and I'll use formulas, or I'll use Chinese herbal formulas that contain um, you know, Chinese herbs, some of which we have in Western medicine, uh, licorice, blue pleurum, uh, are fantastic uh, herbs. And, and are there specific exercises that are good for people with uh, hepatitis, um, either um, an emphasis on aerobic exercise or an emphasis on yoga or tai chi. I, I don't know if these things have ever been um, studied, but do you gravitate towards any sort of protocol around exercise as part of the plan? Absolutely. The uh, It's a very important part of the plan. Certainly aerobic exercise is, is, is beneficial for people's circulation in general, but one of the things that I emphasize with uh, my patients is either qigong or some kind of relaxation breathing exercise. And there's specific qigong, which is a Chinese form of, uh, of meditative exercise to help heal. Um, you can focus uh, with certain visualizations on the liver and bringing the breath and color, which is green in Chinese medicine, into the liver to help the, the healing that way. And there's, So I'll show people that. And part of the reason I emphasize that is it's a very stressful illness to have. And so the stress component, the emotional stress component is pretty big. And giving people a tool where they can themselves either do Tai Chi or do uh, Qigong or do some kind of daily um, exercise to really help the, the Qi flow, help the breath is, is a very beneficial thing for them, I think. And, and do you see any um, emotional profile with people who maybe the disease has progressed more and the liver isn't functioning as well? Are there... Um, you know, you mentioned stress. Uh, I know in Chinese medicine, we think of the liver. You, you think of anger or frustration or depression. Absolutely. Are those things that you see more commonly in a population of people in more advanced hepatitis C than you would, you think, with your patients coming to you for a sinus problem? Or is that, well, I know that's probably hard to say. It, it is hard to say. It's certainly there. And I think, uh, I, think I definitely see that uh, picture a lot. Um, but I think you would see that in a lot of chronic uh, illness as well. And there's, uh, but yes, and from Chinese medicine, I see that uh, kind of liver, liverish, um, bilious uh, picture. Um, there can also be in more advanced stages what we call in Chinese medicine more of a spleen deficient uh, picture because the liver will will damage the spleen. So then there's that exhaustion. Then there's the uh, you know the inability to make the blood. Um, you know, a lot more, you know, so it's kind of a more of a weakness picture rather than that excess picture of the liver fire. So it does it does definitely change. And how do you change your protocol when you have someone who already has seen signs of fibrosis in their liver or their liver is cirrhotic and you're, you're seeing that the liver isn't able to detox and filter the blood and do all these other things that it does for our bodies in, in the way it used to? 
then it's even more important to you know do the dietary piece because you really have to take the load off the things the liver is struggling to deal with. So that's really important. I mean, Western medicine takes away alcohol, but there's a lot more that uh, is is important as well. Um, so I'll use more antifibrotic herbs. Uh, one of my favorite uh, treatments is called castor oil packs, which is a topical application over the liver to help the blood flow and help soften the, the scar tissue of the liver. Uh, a lot of antioxidants. Uh, selenium is a very important antioxidant. It's been shown to be much lower in, in cirrhotic patients, liver cancer patients. It's something that gets depleted. Um, alpha-lipoic acid uh, helps protect the uh, the cell membranes of the liver cells. Vitamin E is antifibrotic, so I'll really increase a lot of those antioxidants as well as making sure that they're doing everything they can uh, nutritionally, lifestyle-wise, to give their liver, liver a break. Any... Uh books or resources that you tend to point people towards? Um, I couldn't uh, name any off the top of my head uh, at the moment. You work, I are you working on one? I should be, yes. I, I've, got, I've got the, uh, this, the uh, outline. <laughs> <laughs> so what, for people who, who tuned in and are interested in maybe they know someone who has hepatitis C or have more questions about what's, what your protocol is and what it all involves, where can they find you? Uh, my clinic is called the Brooklyn Natural Health Clinic here in Portland. It's the Brooklyn neighborhood, southeast Portland. Um, uh, website, bnb, letter B, N, letter N, health.net. BNB health? Uh, no, just BN health. I'm sorry. BN health. Health.net. Um, and phone number 503-239-7341. Well, it's great having you on Health Watch, Dr. Jenna. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. We were talking today with Dr. Kaven Jenna, local naturopathic physician, about natural approaches to hepatitis C. If you missed part of today's program or you have someone you want to point to today's program to listen more about it, you, you'll be able to go to kboo.fm backslash healthwatch shortly and listen to it in the archive and other healthwatch shows. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday Morning Radio Zine. Next up at 11.30 is the Health and Healthcare Forum with host Roberta Hall. She speaks with Harry McCormick, organic farmer, writer, and one of the chief speakers for the Benton County Ordinance, which would ban the use of GMO plantings in open fields. I'll be back on the first Monday in October with Dr. Tierona Lodog talking about her new book from National Geographic. Stay tuned.